We'll, we'll see how it goes. But ain't no lack of toenail is going to prevent me uh, from getting the opportunity uh, to share God's word with you. If the world wants to stop me to do that, they're going to have to try harder than ripping uh, my toenails off. Um, but it's an immense uh, blessing and privilege we all have to realize to be able to open up God's word together as a family. And we're going to uh, do that this morning. As you can open up uh, the Word of God, your Bible, to the book of Ephesians, if you have your Bible. If not, the words will be uh, projected behind me. Um, but we're continuing our series on living like a saint. We're going through verse by verse uh, the book of Ephesians. And in this book, uh, really a letter, we see that it's a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the saints at Ephesus, these Gentile believers. And within this letter that Paul is writing to the saints, he is urging them to live like a saint. And so we spent uh, the past handful of weeks talking, taking a look at this letter and seeing how we have a call to live like a saint, as that is who we are as Christians. That was sort of our focus last week, how we have new life as Christians, gone with our old identity as sinners, and new, and we have a new identity as saints, as children of God, as Christians. That, that is who we are today, and so we have got to live like it. We've got to live like we are saints. And so that's where we pick up today in Ephesians chapter 5. We'll be going through uh, the first 21 verses of chapter 5 this morning. And so in chapter 5, verse 1, Paul writes to the saints. He says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So, wow, uh, that, that is an eye catcher there in verse 1. Be imitators of God. I remember uh, looking at this uh, verse when I was uh, a young child um, and thinking, wow, uh, that seems a little blasphemous uh, to be imitators of God. Um, but I believe here, Paul, he's referring to the character of God. We, we have got to imitate the character of our good God. We know that our God, he is a loving God. He is a gracious God and merciful and just and thoughtful. And we need to imitate that. We, we need to take his characteristics and we need to imitate that as his beloved children. As uh, we are to imitate God as children. As kids do this, all of the time. This naturally takes place as children. They are heavily, heavily influenced by their parents. I see it all the time in Ezra as he is imitating Jamie and I more and more the older he gets. I see this in myself. Uh, a lot of people think I am just like my dad. And I see that more and more growing up that, I, that I'm imitating my dad the more I get older. Sorry, Jamie. Um, not sorry. Sorry, Dad. Um, but as we get older and older, we, we imitate our parents frequently. That, that's the natural process if, if we have a, a relationship with our parents. And so we, we are children of God. And so if we take on this identity as a child of God, then naturally we are going to imitate him more and more naturally we're going to be more loving. 
naturally we're going to be more gracious and merciful and forgiving and so on, as that is what children do with their parents and, and during natural circumstances. And a great characteristic of God that we must exhibit in our life is love. As Paul says, we have to walk in love, and not just any ordinary love. But Paul tells us that we have to love as, or just like, Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So God is love, and God showed his love to us by laying his son Jesus down. And we can see not only the love of God, but also the love of Jesus as he laid himself down for us. And we have been called in this letter, we have been called to love just like that. Just like the love of Christ we have got to exhibit in our lives. So just in in these first two verses of chapter 5, we have been called to extreme things in life. Been called to imitate the character of God. And we have been called to love just as Christ loved us. That is how we must act in order to live like a saint. And so Paul continues in verse 3, and he says, But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. So Paul says sexual immorality and purity and covetousness or idolatry, they must not even be named among us. As this is not the proper conduct of saints. Saints don't partake in sexual immorality and impurity and in covetousness. It pains me to see well-known Christians in, in this world live in a manner like this. It paints a very, very poor picture of what a Christian is to the rest of society. I'm sorry for you Browns fans out there, but I can't help but think of Deshaun Watson, someone who is a, a, a proclaimed Christian, but living a lifestyle that, that doesn't fit in line with that. And when we do that, we're painting a very poor picture of what a Christian looks like, what a Christ follower looks like. And it, it's very offsetting for people outside of the church. And so not only should we not be partaking in things, but these things should not even be named among us. Any sexual act that is is not between one husband and one wife, that is simply immoral and that is impure. And we have to stay away from that, no matter what society may try and tell us is okay and even encouraged. We have to stay away from it. it. It shall not even be named among us as Christians, as saints, as children of God. And we may ask, why is this such a big deal? Why do we have to stay away from things? Why is this so important? Well, we get that very, very clear answer in verse 5. As Paul writes, for you may be sure. So the thing that he's about to tell us, he, he's saying we may be sure. There, there is no second guessing what Paul is about to say here. He says, for you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. You may be sure. Everyone 
who is sexually immoral, everyone who is impure, everyone who is covetous, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, we aren't talking about people who who slip up and commit a sin once in a while because we have all been there. We have all done that. And instead, we're talking about people who exhibit these behaviors as their lifestyle. That is who they are. They habitually partake in these sins, and they continue without any repentance. And whoever that person is, Paul says that you can be sure that they will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so we have got to make sure that that is not describing us. We've got to make sure that that we are not identified as someone who is sexually immoral, someone who is impure, or someone who is covetous, or or he compares to an idolater. If that's us, then Paul says we have no inheritance in God's kingdom. This is why I think we need to have such a firm stance against sin as Christians, as our eternal existence is at stake. Your friends, your families, their eternal existence is at stake. And I think it's worth hurting some people's feelings over. Their their eternal existence is extremely more important than their temporary feelings uh, that may be hurt. Uh, We have to present this truth in a loving and gentle and and respectful manner. But yet, these truths need to be shared. And so this should, should serve as a wake-up call. If we habitually partake in sin, we can be sure we have no inheritance in God's kingdom. And if we have no inheritance in God's kingdom, there's only one choice for you, and that's to burn in the gates of hell. And I don't know about you, but I, I don't want uh, to be on that side of the story. I want to be on the side of the story where, where I have an inheritance in God's coming kingdom where everything wrong with this world is going to be made right and so Paul, he, he, he does not talk lightly about this issue of sin. I think too often in, in our society and culture, we just glaze over the issue of sin. But, but no, here, Paul, Paul informs us of the ramifications of living a lifestyle of sin. And Paul continues kind of this same thought. He says let, in verse 6, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. So Paul tells us that the wrath of God is going to come upon those who live a lifestyle of sin. And so we simply, we need to stay away from becoming partners with them. A lot of translations read, uh, don't become partakers with them. So if we see someone partaking in these different uh, lifestyles of sin, we need to stay away. Simple. Uh, Very very clear that we we need to stay away. We we need to not become partakers with them. We should not follow suit, but we should stray away from these different uh, sinful lifestyles. And so Paul continues in verse 8, a bit of a humbling uh, statement here. He says, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And so we must all remember, we, we, we can't get big heads in life because we have to remember we were all there as well. We were all children of the darkness. We were all habitually partaking in patterns of sin. 
Every single one of us has been there before in our life. But we're saved from that, not because of anything that we have done. It's not, it's not our own doing, but it's simply the grace of God. To the grace of God that we were children of darkness, and now we are children of light. We, we are children of God. For the fruit of, of light is found in all that is good and right and true. So after we have given our life over to God and his son, Jesus, we, we move from the darkness to the light as Jesus, he is the light of the world. And if we follow the light of the world, and you guess it, we too, we will be children of light as well. So Paul continues in verse 10, and, and Paul writes, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. So Paul says we have to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. We learn who God is through prayer and through reading his word, uh, communicating uh, with him. The, the, the more we know God through, through prayer and reading our word and through other facets, the more we, we know what would please him and what would not please him. And eventually, the, the more that we know God, eventually we, we have a general idea of what pleases God and of what doesn't. And a lot of times people uh, may wait for God to lead them in a particular big decision. I don't know what this big decision may be in your life. Maybe it's uh, changing jobs. Maybe it's uh, marrying this person. Maybe it's whatever it may be. A lot of times when we are approaching big decisions in our lives, a lot of times we wait for clear divine confirmation from God that we need to choose choice A or choose choice B. And sometimes we're going to get that clear divine confirmation from God. And when we do, we have got to follow that clear divine confirmation from God. But sometimes in the midst of making big decisions in our life, we will not receive that clear divine confirmation. And a lot of times when people don't receive that big, clear uh, divine confirmation, a lot of times people may sit idly by twiddling their thumbs, waiting to partake in a ministry, waiting to do whatever. And, and I think we need to stay away from that, staying away from idleness. And instead, when we know God, we know in general what would please him and what would not. I mean, it's very similar to, to, you, to you and your family, your spouse, your children. You know generally what would please them. You know that uh, giving them a hug or high five, handshake, that, that, that is pleasing to them. And you know that striking them on the cheek, that, that would not be uh, very pleasing to them as you know them. And so the more we know God, the more we know what would please him. When I read this, I was uh, reminded of my grandfather as he was um, on his deathbed in the hospice. His goal for the day, a lot of times in the hospital, they have a goal for the day written on the board of what you want to accomplish that day. And uh, his goal was to please God. Uh, and I find uh, that, that we can all learn from that example. I've shared that story uh, with you all. But, but we have got to seek to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Once we know what is pleasing to the Lord, we, we got to partake in those actions and those thoughts as well. And so Paul then, he encourages us to expose the works of darkness. 
You know, uh, again, I think our society, oftentimes, we, we, we glaze over sin. We view it as no big deal. But, but Paul, he encourages us to expose the works of darkness. Why? why? Why expose these works of darkness? Because Paul says in verse 13, but when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. And so Paul continues in verse 14, for anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So if we take these works of darkness, we make them visible, eventually they, they, they may become light. And so Paul then, he, he quotes there in verse 14, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. This is uh, one of the many instances in the Bible when someone who is dead is described as being asleep. Asleep was and still is a, a very common euphemism for death. As when we are dead, we, we are simply resting. We know nothing. That's a very comforting thought for me, that my loved ones who have passed away, they, they don't have to know about the struggles of the world, but instead, they are asleep. They, they, they are resting, awaiting the return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And at that moment, those who are asleep, they will arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. And so if we continue, Paul says in verse 15, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. So Paul here, he encourages us to be wise in all that we do. Sometimes it might not boil down to making the right decision or the wrong decision, but sometimes it's just a matter of making the wise decision. You know, it, it might not be bad to partake in activity A. It might not be wrong, but, not, but it might be unwise to partake in activity A. And so we not only have to focus on what is right and what is wrong, but we have to focus on what is wise, what, what is the right thing to do in this situation. So we have to look carefully how we walk. We have to carefully examine the actions that we partake in. For we have to make the best use of the time because the days are evil. We cannot waste our days away. Time is one of the most valuable resources that God has blessed us with, if not the most valuable resource that he has blessed us with. And so we have got to manage and use that time, that valuable resource to the best of our ability. When I think about uh, the common person in America, the typical person's week revolves around their job and making money. That, that's often what Monday through Friday revolves around, making money. And then oftentimes in a typical person's life here in America, the weekend then is all about having fun. And so then we see when we take a look at, at someone's typical schedule, we see that their time is primarily focused on making money and having fun. We've got to ask ourselves, is the focus of making money and the focus of having fun, is that the best use of our time? We all need, need to question ourselves in, in, that, in that question. As sure, money is useful, and it can be used for a lot, a lot of good. I'm reminded of in March when we, with the money that God blessed us with, we were able to provide funds to build a church over in Africa. 
That is a lot of good that is used from money. And sure, yeah, we, we, we need to relax and we need to de-stress from time to time. But we should be asking ourselves, are these two activities, are they the focal point of our weekly schedule? And if making money and having fun is, the pri- they are the primary focuses of our schedule, we've got to ask, is that the best use of our time? We have to think about our main purpose in life. And how can we fulfill our main purpose with our most valuable resource? We've got to use it to the best of our ability. And for each of us, that's going to look slightly different. There's no right answer. There's no wrong answer. Instead, it's a matter of making a wise decision. We've got to carefully consider how we walk. We've got to carefully consider how we use our time and use the wisdom that God has blessed us with and decide, is this truly the best use of my time or not? Because we've got to value our valuable resource of time. So Paul then continues, and in verse 17, he says, Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. So Paul says, don't get drunk on wine. It appears, it, it appears to me it is all right to drink some alcohol, as even Jesus changed the water to wine uh, in the book of John. However, we should not be drinking enough to the point where we get drunk. And you probably get there a lot sooner than you think you do if you uh, drink alcohol. Um, and so instead of getting drunk on wine, Paul says that we are to be filled with the Spirit. And what a wonderful blessing that is. Because the same Spirit that victoriously rose Jesus from the grave is living within you. That is awesome. That is power that nobody, no thing can take away from you. They can take my toenails away from me, but, the, but nobody, no doctor can take the living Spirit of God from within me. And that has so much power. And we can't minimize the power of God's spirits in our life. For when uh, the, the book of Acts talks about this, Luke writes about this, uh, or Peter talks about this when in, in Acts chapter 2, if we are baptized and repent, we will be filled with the spirit of God. <laughs> and that is pretty awesome. The same spirit that rose Jesus from the grave is living within you. And that spirit empowers you to live and imitate God as his beloved children. It empowers us to to, to walk in the light, to to stray away from sin, and we cannot minimize the power that is in God's spirit working within each and every one of us. And so here, closing out this, this section of scripture, Paul writes in verse 19, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so here we, we're, we're addressing one another in psalms and hymns, and, and together we are singing to the Lord. 
I always love that part in our service where together as a family, as a body of Christ, we, we together, we're making a melody, a harmony, and we are singing to the Lord. And a lot of times in, in these songs that we are singing to the Lord, we are giving thanks for everything that God our Father has provided for us. And so as we live our lives on a daily basis, we have got to give thanks always and for everything to God the Father. As every good gift that you have in your life is a product because of God. God is the giver of good gifts, and God has blessed each and every one of us in unique ways, and we've got to give thanks to God. Life is way better when we have a grateful heart for the things that we have been provided. And then finally, Paul says we need to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so we fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, we've got to learn to submit to one another, working cohesively as one unit. And so like a lot of these uh, different passages from the book of Ephesians that we've been uh, talking about, a lot of it is somewhat scatterbrained. So again, at the end here, I want to provide you guys with a couple of key takeaways that you can drill in your mind and apply to your life. So when I read these 21 verses, one, one key takeaway for me is that we've got to imitate God as his child. As children, they naturally imitate their parents, and we, our new identities as children of God, we've got to learn to imitate our heavenly Father. And so in all that you do, show love and grace and mercy and justice and faithfulness as you imitate your heavenly Father. Second big takeaway for me from this passage is those who live in sin will not inherit the kingdom. Sin is a serious issue. Sin is something we have to stray away from. We shall not be partakers with those who partake in sin. For Paul very clearly tells us that those who live a lifestyle of sexual immorality, impurity, covetedness, or, or uh, compared to idolatry, Paul very clearly states they will not inherit the kingdom of God. That is how serious sin is in our life and society. And so not only should we not celebrate sin, should we not ignore sin, but we must stray away from sin. And we need to hold our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ accountable, keeping each other accountable as one family. And the third big uh, takeaway for me in the scripture is make the best use of time. God is a giver of good gifts, and uh, the time that you've been blessed with, there's not many gifts better than that. And so we've got to use the main resource in our life, and we've got to use that to fulfill the main purpose in our life. We've got to ask ourselves, is making money or having fun or working in a house, whatever it may be, is that the main purpose in our life? Some of us, when we look at our schedules, that's what our schedules may be telling us, that these things are the main things, the main purposes in our life. So we got to ask ourselves, what's the main purpose, and how can we use the time in our life to further our 
purpose in life as Christians, as saints, and as children of God. And if we do, we will arise one day when Christ returns from heaven to earth and establishes his coming kingdom here on earth where everything wrong with this world will be made right. That is the reward that's at stake for us if we fight the good fight. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Father, we thank you for the spirit that you have empowered us with as you have filled each and every one of us if we devote our life to you, you, you filled us with that precious spirit. And Father, I pray that we use your precious spirit to the best of our abilities. Pray that we use our time to the best of our abilities. And Father, ultimately, I just pray that we together as a church, we seek to please you. We seek to fulfill your will here on earth. So Father, we love you so much. We give you thanks always. We give you thanks for everything that you do. It's in Christ's name that we pray, amen.